This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. Hey, struck out as Stanton goes down. And that's eight strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our final regular season show and a celebration of sorts. We'll discuss making a fourth straight postseason with General Manager Peter Bendix. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joins us to discuss the season. We'll chat about going to the Arizona Fall League with Mason Auer, reflect on a long journey to the big leagues with Miles Mastroboni. Plus, we'll reflect with soon-to-be-retired Rays, bullpen coach Stan Borowski and rehab coordinator Paul Harker. Coming up, Rays General Manager Peter Bendix on this group and making the playoffs again. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball, and this is the Rays Baseball Network. All right, we continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and our featured guest this week is General Manager Peter Bendix. Peter, first of all, congratulations. Thank you, Neil. Can you put into context what this group has accomplished and especially what is accomplished in the context of now four straight postseasons? Yeah, I mean, the injuries that we've dealt with this year and everything that has come up during the year I think it's a a testament to really everybody in the organization everybody in the big leagues everybody who started the year in AAA our minor league system our coaches uh, there's a lot of people that went into having another successful season this year and this one was a little bit more challenging than past years but at the end we just want to get into the playoffs has it been the hardest year of the four I think in a lot of ways, yes, but each each year is its own different, unique circumstances and challenges. I think the injuries that we've had this year, especially looking back to our opening day roster, that's probably made it a little bit more challenging, but we know it's always the next man up kind of mindset, and we know that we're going to lean on more than 26 guys over the course of a season. If I would have told you before the year started, your middle of the diamond, KK, Zanino, Bilal, and Wander Franco, would play in total 12 games together for the season. What would you have told me? I would have said it was going to be a very challenging season, but that it gives the opportunity to a lot of other players that we have that we know can be pretty good. What were the areas where you think you have excelled to make up for losses like that and countless others? I think several of our uh, starting rotation are really the unsung heroes of the season. I mean, Shane McClanahan's season speaks for itself. He's had a Cy Young caliber season, and he's really taken a step forward. Drew Rasmussen is having an incredible season, and people forget he was a reliever. This is his first full season as a starter. And then along the same lines, Jeffrey Springs was a reliever even this season. And the fact that he has transitioned seamlessly into the rotation, he takes the ball every fifth day, and he's good for five, six really strong innings. ZRA, I don't know what it is. It's really good. And I feel like every time Springs is on the mound, we have a chance to win. Does Corey Kluber, who goes here on Sunday, also fly somewhat under the radar in that He's making his team-leading start. 
Absolutely. His stability, taking the ball every fifth day, going out there, giving us a chance to win, and really his veteran presence in the clubhouse and showing some of our younger players what it means to be a professional, what it means to get your body ready to go out there and pitch every fifth or sixth day. He's been a really positive force both in the clubhouse and on the field. As you look at this group, you made a lot of additions in season from Christian Bethencourt to Jose Siri to David Peralta. Which one do you think has had the biggest impact in the clubhouse and then also on the field? Oh, it's hard to pick just one. Um, I think Christian Bethencourt coming in and adding some pop to the catching position and defending really well has been really helpful. David Peralta has been everything that we hoped for, especially in the clubhouse. He's a veteran. He's been around. He knows what it takes to succeed in the big leagues. And adding that kind of veteran presence to a position player group that was really young, inexperienced, and they were struggling, I think that has been really helpful as well. Tell me, you don't usually chase leads in games. Do you chase leads in the final couple games of the season to try and improve seeding? We'd really like to host. I think being at home would be a wonderful thing for a number of reasons, to be able to play in front of our fans, to be able to have that playoff atmosphere in the trot that we've seen before, that it can be intimidating for other teams. We're going to do everything we can to try to host those three games. Obviously, you would need some help to do it, and you're trying to avoid what could be, what, about an 18-day road trip, if not? Yeah, I think it would be 17 days total, which would be pretty grueling, and yet another reason we'd like to host. But this team has been through a lot already this season, and we've been resilient, and we've shown that we can bounce back and that we can persevere, and I have no doubt that even if it is that long road trip, that we'll be ready to play. Is there a preference? Is there a Cleveland, Toronto, Seattle? Obviously, those are the three options for round one. There's not really a preference. If we play well, if we get our pitching in order, if we get our position player group healthy, if we can really swing the bats the way that we've shown uh, against Framber that we are able to do so, if we play well, we can beat any team. How important is having Yandi? He showed it in the clinching game to your lineup, and we saw while he was out that this lineup scuffled most of the games without him. Yandi is incredibly important to the lineup. Having his presence at the top of the lineup, his on-base ability, and really just his quality at bats. He's going to work counts. He's going to deliver whatever we need, whether it's a walk, whether it's a single, whether it's just contact. He's got the home run threat, and he he lengthens the lineup even more. It pushes everybody else down a spot, and just the more tough outs we have in the lineup, the better we're going to be. You also have seen Wander start to play like Wander. How much does that change the group? Wander has the potential to be one of the best players in the league, and we're starting to see him, I think, regaining his confidence and feeling healthy and really hitting his stride. I'm sure you guys have already started discussions on rosters. Would that be fair to say? And how much of it depends on opponent? A lot of it does depend on the opponent. I think especially when looking at these three opponents that we might face, they are each built pretty differently. They each have different strengths and weaknesses. They have different handedness. They have different styles of play. And I think one of the advantages of having the depth that we have is that you might be able to you know, pick what matchup you think is best against each team that you're playing. Normally when you play a one-gamer, you usually have 14 and 12, 14 position players, 12 pitchers. Does that change because of the chance of playing three straight games? Yeah, I think it does. I don't know where we're going to end up with that, but we've never had this format of playoffs before. Nobody has. And to have the three-game series all in a row in one place and then potentially having just one off day if we're lucky enough to advance to the next round, there's different considerations than in the past. So 26-man roster... Is it 22 or 23 already decided and three will depend on the opponent or where do you think you are? 
Honestly, I don't know exactly how many locks there are. I think part of it will depend on how things play out down the stretch, how guys are feeling, what performance is like, and then really, you know, how rested different pitchers are as we head into the wild card. Explain for our fans, can a pitcher in AAA, if they've been with a big league club and they've been optioned 15 days ago, can they still be part of your roster? Does that come into, like, let's say Yanni Chirinos as an example, can he be part of the playoff roster discussion for this year? The short answer is yes. The player has to have been down in the minor leagues or on the injured list for the appropriate length of time, whether that's 10 days or 15 days. They also have to have been in our organization on August 31st. If they meet those criteria, then they're eligible for the playoffs. And the fact that you have so many players on the 60-day injured list does give you some additional flexibility, yes? That's right. That allows players who might not have been on the 40-man roster at the end of August to potentially be part of the playoffs. You, the celebration on Friday night, I don't know how much you got to see some of the players and their joy, but seeing a Jason Adam who are only celebrated in a COVID season or a Harold Ramirez who hadn't been there, or Christian Bethencourt, what does that mean to see those guys part of it? Because you don't want to take for granted that you've been to the playoffs four straight years, but a lot of guys haven't been there. I think you said it exactly right, Neil. You don't want to take it for granted. This is a really hard thing to do. It's 162 games. It's at the, uh, the you know highest quality of play in, in the world, and it's a grind. And even when you have a lot of talent, it's a grind. And this division is incredibly talented, and to make the playoffs in any season is an accomplishment that everyone should feel really proud of. As you guys try and prep, how focused are you? Are you focused from a scouting standpoint only on the three teams? Or is it Houston and New York now, too? Because if you advance, that's going to be your opponent. Yeah, it's uh, any team that we might play in October, we need to be ready for. And obviously, the Yankees, we've played a lot. Houston, we've played a lot over the, the, this last couple of weeks, so we feel pretty familiar. But we need to use this time to be ready for really any scenario that could come up. All of this comes in the context of what happened this week. How challenging was this past week with Ian? And what can you say about maybe what this may mean to the area? and also to a lot of your employees down in Port Charlotte who are having a challenge right now. I can't describe how difficult this last week must have been for everybody in Port Charlotte and Fort Myers and Naples and all of the areas that got really hard hit. I know the stress that we felt. I live in St. Pete. A lot of my colleagues live in St. Pete and Tampa. The stresses that we felt are, are nothing compared to the people who are hit even more hard. And I know this community well. I've lived here for a while. I've seen people rally around each other. I've seen us as an organization rally around each other and rally around the community and I, I know we're going to do that again here. Hopefully a deep playoff run can be a nice distraction as people get their lives back together and rebuild to be even stronger. And I guess you know firsthand from 2020 and the pandemic the impact that a positive playoff run can have. Absolutely and at the end of the day we're a team that's here for the community. We try to support the community as best we can both with performance on the field and actions off the field and we're going to have a chance to demonstrate that here. Obviously you want to your mark usually is made in the postseason and I know how badly the fans want but as you look in total at this regular season what are the biggest takeaways for you? Perseverance and grit, I think. The fact that we've had the injuries that we've had, the fact that we've overcome what we have, to be in this spot and to have a team that has a chance to go deep into October, it really is a whole organization-wide success story, and I hope everyone feels proud of that. Peter Bendix, thanks for a few minutes on This Week in Race Baseball. Good luck preparing for the next round and in the next round. Thanks very much, Neil.
That's Peter Bendix joining us on This Week in Rays Baseball. We'll continue in a moment. This is the Rays Baseball Network. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. The Rays minor league season is over, but for one game, with Durham playing in the AAA Championship in Las Vegas on Sunday. However, several players are headed to the Arizona Fall League later on this month for more action. Among them, Mason Auer, the team's base runner of the year with 48 stolen bases. And I asked Mason at the minor league awards ceremony at Tropicana Field what the honor meant. Uh, thank you. I mean, it means a lot, you know. I think we work on base running a lot, and I take pride in that. And to win this award means a lot. Tell me what makes a good base runner to you and what you think your greatest strengths in running the bases. Um, I mean, I think a good base runner is just someone who knows the game and knows how to read the ball off the bat and knows where the uh, outfielders are positioned and where everyone's at on the field. And um, I think my biggest strength on the base pass is stealing bases. As a guy who played college, how was it to adjust to the rules at the minor league level with base stealing, with the number of throws they could make, and how much do you think it helped? Yeah, I mean, it was a little different. I think it was a pretty quick adjustment, though. After a couple games, you were in, I mean, it was a pretty quick adjustment, and I don't think that it was that much different from college, just but the, the amount of times they could pick off, definitely. Like, if they picked off twice, you know that you had a pretty good shot that they weren't going to come over there again because if they didn't get you, you got a free base. So it was, it was sometimes easier to steal. Yeah, I didn't know how much you're at times trying to force them to make a throw just so you get one of those or the second one over there. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to get big leads and, you know, try to force them to throw over to me so I can, you know, see what their move looks like and also just see if they're going to throw over at all. So I think that, it, I think that the rule was good. You also were part of a championship team, one of two already for this organization. What did that mean to you? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, just to see the group of guys that we had compete and win the championship, uh, you know, go out the right way, it, was, it meant a lot. And, uh, you know, it was a super cool experience. Did it mean more to have the kind of moment that you had in the final game? You had a big two-run double, and it would have kind of break the game open a little. Yeah, I think that that gave us a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, we were up 3-0, and then Tanner Murray drove me in, make it 4-0, and, uh, you know, just being up by a couple runs there at the end of the game, you know, I mean, we had our really good pitchers coming in, and, you know, we had a lot of confidence, and it was just it was an awesome experience. How do you think you grew this year? Because this is your first full year, and how are you feeling physically after the season you had? Yeah, I mean, it was a long season. Uh, you know, the body takes a beating during the season, but, you know, we take care of ourselves very good in this organization. And, uh, you know, we work every day. You know, we have great staff, great coaches, um, and we work on hitting. I mean, we learn just we learn more and more and more every day on just how to play the game the right way and just we learn about different pitches, you know, what carry is, what sink is, you know, all sorts of different stuff. And, you know, it's just learning every day. You got a great opportunity. You're going to the Fall League, too. What does that mean? Um, you know, I'm excited for the Fall League. You know, everybody that I've talked to that's been out there said they had a great time, and it's a bunch of great exposure and a bunch of great talent out there, so it'll be a good experience. It's very rare for the race to send a first full-year guy to the Fall League. To you, how do you feel about that? Uh, you know, I'm just blessed that they gave me the opportunity to go out there and, uh, you know, I think that I showed them that I can compete with uh, some really good talent and they want to see what I can do out there and you know I'm excited for it. Will it be kind of a measuring stick for you just to kind of say okay these are some of the top prospects and 
now the Rays obviously think a lot of me too. Yeah, I mean, it'll be cool to just see what uh, these other top prospects and these other organizations are like, and, you know, just to go out there and compete against them, uh, it'll be a really cool experience. And now that you've been through a full season, once you get through the fall league, how do you want to improve next year? Have you thought a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I want to improve at every aspect of my game, you know, just improve in the outfield, improve with the bat, improve on the bases, improve everywhere. Uh, you know, my biggest thing is, you know, laying off of bad pitches, you know, in the dirt and stuff and really zoning in on my strike zone and really get, trying to get my pitch. And defensively, how do you think you can get better? Because I've heard a lot of good things about your defense, too. Yeah, I mean, you can always get better defensively. I think, you know, you can work on your footwork, you know, your arm, your accuracy with the arm, you know, taking better routes to the ball and everything like that. And that is Mason Auer, who along with position players Ronnie Simone, Tanner Murray and Blake Hunt, as well as pitchers Alex Ayala, Antonio Menendez, Evan Reifert, and Sandy Gaston are headed to the Arizona Fall League. Now Friday, of course, the race celebrated going to the postseason for a fourth straight year. Maybe one of the biggest smiles was on the face of one Miles Master Boney, who battled seven years to get to the big leagues after his super season with Durham. And I.S. Miles, who's had less than two weeks in the show, to reflect on that time. It's kind of just been everything I've, I've dreamt about, you know, since I was a little kid. And uh, to kind of to see it to see it become a reality has been super surreal. And uh, but it just kind of goes back to all the the time and all the, the effort and uh, the sacrifices and everything just to make this thing worthwhile. So it's been awesome. Very good experience so far. What's been the best part? Uh, right, everything. Um, you know, like I said, it's just to have a dream become a reality has been super surreal and everything. And, um, you know, to to finally say that that I'm a big leaguer is, is something really special and uh, couldn't do without my family and friends. Is there anything that surprised you about anything you've seen so far, or at least the difference between AAA and the big leagues? Yeah, I mean, talent's obviously going to be the, the thing that kind of sticks out a little bit. I mean, you're playing against the best in the world at this point, so but you know the game's the same nothing changes uh i wouldn't say there's anything you know guys are going to have better stuff pitching wise but i don't think you're going to see really too much that um you know is is gonna uh surprise you in a sense but there's going to be a little getting used to for sure like i said these guys are really good and uh, a lot of these guys have been doing it for a while so just gotta uh roll with the punches who's enjoyed this more you your brother who spent what a handful of years in the minor leagues as well uh, your your mom your dad I think we're all enjoying this at the same uh, at, you know equally at the same time uh, I know my parents is really uh, they had a lot of emotions seeing me on a big league diamond and uh, fulfill one of my dreams and they're super happy for me I wouldn't be here without my brother he's probably my my number one reason why I'm in this position I am right now. So, I mean, we've been enjoying this equally. We've been talking back and forth with my parents and my brother and uh, just enjoying this ride so far. Tell me what your brother has meant to you and did he get you into the game to begin with? I mean, my brother means everything to me. Uh, we have a really good relationship, something I'm very fortunate for. Uh, somebody that I can lean on, you know, during the tough times, but also someone that's there during the good that we can enjoy uh, things together. So I would say my, my dad is my dad is what uh, got that baseball kind of into us growing up. I mean, he always had games on on the TV, so I think my dad is what kind of kick-started us, but he always threw that, uh, that fire in us as well. What kick-started you to also find another level? Because this was, I would argue, your best year at the minor league level before you got the call-up. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, 
a lot of adversity, you know. Uh, when you hit those, when you hit that kind of spot with uh, adversity, you can pick one or two things, you know. You can feel sorry for yourself or you can dig deep down and uh, use it kind of as fuel. And I've always kind of been a guy that's kind of flew under the radar and um, I've been able to just kind of use it as, as fire. And I've always wanted to, to just prove people wrong. I think that's kind of been a, a key starter for me. What was the adversity that you thought was the biggest challenge? Was it not being on the 60-man during the pandemic? What would, what was it for you? Uh, I mean, I don't know if it would be. I would always just strive to be, um, you know, somebody that my teammates could really count on. And, um, you know, to do that, you, just, you, you need to perform. So, I mean, I wouldn't say any of that kind of stuff. You know, it's, there's definitely stuff where you, you got to take a look in the mirror and, you know, you got to be honest with yourself. And when, when stuff like that happened, I just took a look in the mirror. I, I was honest with myself and I tried to pick out the spots where I really needed to work at and uh, go from there. So in your game, what do you think changed? I see the results. Your OPS is higher. You hit more home runs this year. Your stolen base percentage was greater. So what did you do and, and what allowed you to have this kind of year? Uh, I just tried to continue to do what I've been doing. Um, I know power numbers and that kind of stuff really didn't come till the, till this year. I started to show a little flash of it last year. You know, do the same thing in the off season. Maybe work a little bit harder. When it got when it got to the baseball side of things, I just let everything that I did um, in, in the off season just kind of uh, take care of itself uh, when I came to the diamond. No revamp of the swing. No changing of the trainer. Nothing. None of that stuff. No. Um, you know, I always thought I can really hit. I'm really confident in my hitting, and that was one thing that I actually told myself not to do. Don't touch your swing. Your swing's fine. Um, we just need to try and pick and choose maybe some spots where we can take some uh, take some shots, meaning, you know, if I get an advantage count, let's, let's try and do some damage. And um, I was able to, and what comes with that is just getting your pitch that you're looking for and not missing it. So I just tried to focus on those kind of two things and put myself in the best positions and, and uh, let everything take care of itself. That's Miles Mastroboni, who at 300 had 16 homers and 23 steals before a much-deserved call-up. Coming up, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joins us live from Houston. We also chat with two special people, bullpen coach Stan Borowski and rehab coordinator Paul Harker on their upcoming retirement. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. The Rays at their last home game honor two longtime members of the organization, bullpen coach Dan Borowski and rehab coordinator Paul Harker. And I asked Paul why now was the time. Well, I started uh, 
in professional baseball back in 1991, worked uh, with the Seattle Mariners organization in the minor leagues uh, as an athletic trainer uh, in the Carolina League and then in the Southern League for four years, two years in the Carolina League, four years in the Southern League. And then after the 96 season, signed on with uh, Tampa Bay to basically become their uh, AAA athletic trainer. First season that I worked with them in 97, they didn't even have a AAA team. Uh, I worked at the Florida State League at uh, now where the Rowdies play at Al Lang Stadium. And, and then spent five more seasons after that in AAA and three seasons as coordinator in the minor leagues. And and then uh, was fortunate enough, uh, Ron Porterfield brought me up as the uh, assistant athletic trainer when he uh, was promoted to head athletic trainer back in 2006. And uh, the rest of my time with the Rays has been since then. So 32 years. And as you know, Neil, when, um, when you're in season, it's pretty much seven days a week and, and, and you're going many times 10 and 12 hours a day. So, you know, baseball was, was what I devoted my life to. The family was kind of played second fiddle, at least for about eight and a half months out of the year. And then even in the off seasons, it's now become uh, what people call the season without games. We still work, obviously not as grueling of a schedule, but we're still working. We're still going over medicals. We're still doing rehabs with guys. And and so it's it's not like you're just completely off until the next spring training. You got winter meetings and stuff. And I just feel, felt like it was time to um, to reverse that trend and to um, uh, devote myself to my family and just try to make sure that um, I gave them my full attention. I figured 32 years, uh, this was this was just the time to do it. Quite a career. What are your best memories going to be? Probably two two things. Uh, obviously, winning and 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 going to the playoffs for the first time, and then that year we're fortunate enough to make it all the way to the World Series back in two thousand eight, and just being able to work with guys, get them back from injury, and watching a guy that uh, I, I mean, I, I would have to say, like when I was in the minor leagues as a coordinator, and James Shields had an injury to his to his neck and and also his shoulder and we rehabbed with both of those watching him go on to be or have the type of career that he had and know that he was really not very far away from being out of baseball before he even made it to the major leagues and just seeing uh people persevere like that that really hits home when you get to work for, with somebody from start to finish after a devastating injury and surgery and and get them back uh, to the big leagues i mean i could name names but i know i'd leave somebody out and i don't want to do that but you know but just using james as an example that was that was one that um you know really came to mind and and was like i said really hits home and 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 gives you that gratification that even though what we do is behind the scenes it's also directly affects either the individual and the team itself it certainly does and you know i've heard over the years whether it was a guy like brett honeywell who went through so much just to get back on the field or recently tyler glass now and the, the compliments of your work what makes someone good at what you did in rehabbing a long-term injury too, in addition to being a, a, an impressive trainer? You, you have to care, obviously. You have to be persistent. You have to make sure that, you know, you're dotting all your I's, crossing all your T's with, with everything. Experience plays a, a big role. There's so much that I've learned. I'm still learning, you know, in, in, in my craft and, and what I've done. 
I'm sure if I was to remain in the game, I'd, I'd learn more and more each day. But just trying to be as meticulous as you can regarding whether you're doing exercises or range of motion or, you know, just basic conditioning with somebody, just making sure that you you, you get all of that done correctly and not just, you know, tell a player what to do and send them across the room. Any of the guys that I work with uh, or have worked with uh, will, will tell you that, you know, I'll, I'm hands-on and I want to be, you know, in there every step uh, with them to feel what I'm feeling versus what they're feeling and, and to just be, be honest with them and just be able to tell them, hey, you need to get stronger in this area. We need to increase your range of motion here. Or, you know, you're you're not quite ready to to get out and, and progress to this next step in the in the rehab process. And I think if you if you're meticulous like that and you are in there with your hands on the player consistently day after day after day, it just helps you get a feel for what that player is because everybody's different and you just you need to adapt and adjust uh, to each individual. Tell me how many messages you've gotten in the last week since it became official that you are stepping down and retiring. And is there any couple that stick out just from whether it's players or coaches? It's been amazing, Neil. It's I, I, I've I've gotten everything back from, you know, college roommates and, and uh, athletic trainers, student athletic trainers that I worked with uh, uh, back in, in college and to I, I, I watched a uh, the full video clip of all the different um, players and, and uh, colleagues that I've worked with and alongside throughout the years, obviously at the forefront of that for me is, is Ron Porterfield without him. We, we came over to the, to the race um, both at the same time. We were both hired in uh, November of 1996. Ron was the head athletic trainer and, uh, brought me in as his uh, assistant when I was the coordinator. I we basically followed each other up the up the chain. He had started as the uh, athletic training coordinator with the Rays, but <laughs> back then he was the athletic training co coordinator, strength and conditioning coordinator, rehab coordinator. It was it was you wore many hats back then, and the game has progressed a long way. But um, you know, without Ron and his and his tutelage and his trust in in me. And just the fact that, you know, we were able to work alongside each other and just knew how each other operated. And, you know, no, we didn't see eye to eye all the time. I don't think you know, I don't think it's very good if, if, if you're seeing eye to eye all the time, because then you're not bringing different perspectives into the you know situation. So but we certainly were able to settle all of our, you know, differences and, and work it out to the, to the benefit of the players and the team. And, but, and, and just the former players, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You, you forget different people that you've worked with and uh, along the years. And it's, it's sad to say that, but then once, as soon as you see him, you're like, Oh, Andy Sonnenstein, I, that was, you know, that was great. The times that we, you know, had to work together, I mean, probably not great for him, but if you're working with me, you're you're probably not on the right side of the uh, foul line. But, you know, obviously David Price and, and Alongo, you know, icons in this organization, Kevin Kiermeyer, who uh, well, I was I was very glad that he was uh, able to catch the first pitch that the Rays had me throw out the other night. So, yeah, it's been it's been overwhelming. The amount of people, Kevin Cash, who I rehabbed when I was a minor league coordinator back when he was a player with the Rays and he was injured and, and now it's come full circle and he's the manager and just the support that he's given me and, and so forth. I mean, it's it's been awesome. I appreciate all of that. So tell me what's next. 
I don't I don't have anything specific per se, but uh, I, I I tell you that um, I do have a dream of of being able to uh, get a little piece of land up maybe in the North Georgia mountains or something, building a cabin there, and and uh, having my wife and I be able to uh, to enjoy our our golden years uh, there. I've been I'm a Florida native. I've we, we've lived in Florida for the past twenty years. I, I've lived here all my life. My wife has has been down here since the the early 90s i'm sorry late 90s we just you know we are looking forward to the change of scenery still have our daughter who's a senior in high school Paige is uh taking some some college courses right now as uh early in she got an early admission program and then uh, hoping to be able to go to florida state university and once we get her out and settled then hopefully we'll be able to start pursuing uh the other adventures well, we wish you best of luck with that. We're going to miss you a lot. Congratulations on all the great things you've done here. And thanks for joining us in this week in Rays Baseball. Thanks a lot, Neil. I appreciate you having me on and uh, good luck in the rest of the way. Hopefully we can uh, we can pull this thing out and make a nice, healthy uh, playoff run in my last season with the Rays. And that is Paul Harker. And we're going to hear from Stan Borowski about his pending retirement in just a moment. And joining us right now, live here in Houston, is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, uh, let's start with the team being in the postseason for the fourth straight year. Peter Bendix was on earlier. What stands out to you? Because no other team in this division has ever done it other than the Yankees. I mean, that's a pretty grand accomplishment. I know. You think about the little old Tampa Bay Rays uh, four years in a row, eight times in 15 years, Neil. And, and I think it is a good accomplishment. It's a great accomplishment. There's certainly obviously a little asterisk with the 2020 season. Things were a little different than the bigger plate field but the Rays won the division that year uh, so I, I don't see why you you know that doesn't count just as much so I, I think it's a very impressive run and you think of all the turnover too I mean this hasn't been like the core group I think we went through it there's only like four or five six guys that were on all four of those teams and a couple of those guys were injured and missed at least one of the seasons in the middle such as a guy like Jalen Beek so it really does speak to the leadership to the culture to the Rays' ability to, to kind of reinvent themselves when necessary on the fly and, and to get people and players to buy into what they're doing here, and then the results speak for themselves. I mean, I talked to Matt Silverman the other night uh, during the clinching celebration, and he said they feel like they've built a culture of winning here, and for the young fans, this is what they've grown up and they're used to. If you're a 15-year-old kid, you've seen in the Rays in the playoffs eight times. Yeah, and it's almost become the expectation, but I still think there was such a joy on Friday night, and I don't know if you felt the same, especially for the guys who haven't been there and done that yet. The the Harold Ramirez's of the world, the Christian Bethencourts, even Jason Adam, he told me the only time he had celebrated was in a COVID season, so he hasn't been to a playoff with fans yet. That would explain why he was running around the room with 18 bottles of champagne spraying everybody. No, no, Jason Adam not doing that. But I, I think you're right, and I know you asked a couple people that question while we were doing our post-game interviews that – uh, you know, what is it like to see a first-timer get to celebrate? And, and some of those guys you mentioned, I mean, they're not young kids, Christian Bethencourt and Harold Ramirez. They've been around, and, and they've waited for this opportunity. And just the chance to see those guys, the younger guys, everybody celebrate. This is the one moment, and, and I think this is why some people say, why would a team celebrate winning a wild-card berth? Or why would they celebrate just getting in the playoffs? Because you spent all six months to get to this point, or seven or eight months if you want to count spring training. And you don't know if you're going to get to celebrate again. You might go to the first round and get beat, and you don't ever get a chance to do that again. And that group of players, they always tell us every year is special. Every group is special. So I think they deserve to celebrate. I think they handled it well, and, and I think it was fun to watch them do it because they certainly had some fun out there. Jose Siri, I think, is still pouring champagne on people. And, and you also noted, I think aptly today in the Tampa Bay Times, and I hope people read all the Sunday pieces you put together, that this has been some trying year in terms of injuries. 
I mean, the fact that you had a disappointing all disappointment group that had an injury group and a non-injury group says something about how many injuries there were. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we come up with different things over the course of a long season. We all share our thoughts and, and hang out in the media group here. But there was a, there's a time where you could go through and make a team of the injured players that might be as good as the team the Rays have been putting on the field of the healthy players. And, you know, the names, I know Kevin Cash was asked about it a week or so ago, and he said some days it ticks them off when you look at all the guys that they didn't have this year that they were counting on. And certainly Mike Zanino is one. Certainly Brandon Lau is one. Certainly Andrew Kittredge is one. I mean, those are just three guys uh, who've been all-stars in recent years, and, and there's a longer list than that. J.P. Fireisen was, and, and still is. I mean, he finished the year with no earned runs. I mean, he was on a record pace, and uh, a lot of guys that could have had a bigger impact. But for them to be here where they are, and, yes, they may end up the third wild card, and, yes, you could point out that if the format hadn't been changed, they wouldn't be in the field. But these are the rules they're playing under this year. They made the field. They're going to be one of the six American League teams in the playoffs, and that's something they definitely should be proud of. And you also knew that going in. So it's not like you didn't know that when the season started you may have managed your roster differently if, if it were a five-team right. field or something of that nature. So I think that's important to know too. Yeah, it is, and, and you're right. And just like as we sit here now and there's still some positioning you know, going on, do they, where do they finish, who do they play, I mean, there's always something to play for. And sure, if there was a five-team field, the Rays may have done things differently a month or two ago. They might have acted differently at the trade deadline. There's lots of different ways they could have handled that. Bottom line, they're in. Go through your decisions or your votes, I guess, for the paper today on MVP, on disappointing injury, non-injury, and why you ended up where you did. I obviously don't – I would still want people to read it, so let's not totally steal the thunder, but how would you come to some of the conclusions? Because I'm guessing they were not easy ones. No, there were some that are interesting, and – just for the continuing the free plug here, obviously the print version of the Tampa Bay Times available at your local stores today and everything on TampaBay.com online. I mean, I, I guess probably the easiest way to put it is the baseball writers voted. We had a vote early because they want, we like to present the awards so the home fans can see it. Shane McClanahan was our choice as the MVP. I sat down Friday thinking, maybe he's not the MVP. Let me, let me talk myself out of that and, and went through and looked through Yandy Diaz's statistics and, and the only hitter they have with over an 800 uh, OPS and certainly been valuable, but he hasn't played the last week and a half at that point. Randy Rosarina, maybe, maybe the greatest offensive season individually any race player has had when you look at 20 homers, 30 steals, 40 doubles, and, and still going. Obviously could add to those totals as we go here, but he's he's been in and out. He's been up and down too much. It couldn't make him the MVP when he's had these quiet, quiet stretches. So Jason Adam, Probably earlier this season, he would have been in that conversation, but he's, he's dropped off a little bit of late. Pete Fairbanks would be in that conversation, but he joined the party late. So I circled my way all around this and came back to, even with a lesser second half, Shane McClanahan stepping up when so many other guys, there were three guys that were supposed to be in the rotation that got hurt early in the year. Shane McClanahan stepped up and carried everybody. So that, that's how I came to the conclusion that who I thought was the MVP was still the MVP. And the disappointment, because you had two two areas that you covered, injured and non-injured. Yeah, and uh, it was a low Lau uh, at one point. I thought it was going to be Brandon Lau in the injury division and Josh Lowe. Josh Lau. Josh Lowe. You got me confused now. You're, Neil's doing like five things as we're talking here. You got me so confused here. Sorry. But then G-Man Choi has just been such a non-factor for the Rays in the second half. So it, he's a, a guy we all enjoy talking with. He's a guy that plays the game with, with great joy. But he has not been effective. His numbers since the All-Star break have just been miserable for the Rays. They've tried to give him some time off, give him some opportunity, and he just hasn't taken advantage of it. So I ended up with G-Man Choi as the most disappointing player from the healthy players. And from the injured list, it was a long list. Brandon Lau ended up being the guy, but you could easily have, have gone through. And this is because it was disappointing because they weren't able to play. 
Mm -hmm. And, and you know, Zanino could have been uh, that guy. Kittredge could have been that guy. So there were definitely a bunch of guys in that category. Uh, and, and it kind of speaks to what you said earlier, what the Rays overcame to get to this point. All right. We have about a minute. What do you see as the keys here in the last four days? What's most important to you? Well, I mean, the obvious answer is going to be health, that nobody gets hurt. They don't lose anybody um, and don't change their plans. I think Shane McClanahan having a decent start last night, not great, but decent. I think that was good for him from a mental standpoint. I assume he's going to pitch opener Friday, wherever the Rays end up playing. To be coming off a better start, at least in his own mind, is going to carry a lot of weight there. Uh, and other than that, I don't really think there's anything else. I mean, they're not moving guys around. There's no one else they have to see. I mean, Wander's getting a day off today. We know he's going to be at shortstop every day the rest of the year probably. Yandy's going to be available for the postseason, probably just play one more game this week. So I don't know that there's really any questions to be answered. Keep them healthy. Cash mentioned not overworking the bullpen. But otherwise, I think that's it. Well, we look forward to you writing about wherever the Rays end up. And I'll be with you along the way, too. And, Mark, we certainly appreciate some time on this Sunday live in Houston on This Week in Race Baseball. I know. I was actually distracted sitting here with you instead of being on the phone. You do so many things at one time. I'm very impressed, Neil. Thank you. We try to multitask, and you heard also earlier from Paul Harker. Well, Harker was an original Rays employee. Bullpen coach Dan Borowski is the longest tenured coach, dating back to the Devil Rays era. And he reflected that this week on his time in Tampa Bay and his decision to retire. My wife and I have talked over the last couple of years, and we're just getting to the point to, in our lives where it's time to do something else. You know, baseball's been great. Uh, the Rays organization is incredible to work for, uh, wonderful people from the owner on down all the way through the organization. Uh, they've treated me great over the years and uh, certainly going to miss everybody here. Uh, but it's just time to do something else, and we've been talking about it for, for a little while now. Tell me the things and, and how much of this is, hey, we've gotten out of the pandemic now. How difficult would it have been to, let's say, decide to retire then versus now when things at least have returned to some level of normalcy? Well, I think going through the whole pandemic thing showed me that I could absolutely stay at home and do my own thing and and enjoy it. And it gave me an opportunity to kind of see what I would be getting into because we were stuck at home for months and months. I saw that it really wasn't all that bad of a thing, you know, so uh, we're deciding to give that a try full time here. What are the things that you want to do? Give our, our fans an idea, because obviously, you know, we talk in this game about your devotion to the game itself. Well, yeah, stepping away right now is certainly not a baseball decision. I love this game. I always will. And uh, like I said the other day, certainly not closing the door on anything in the future. But, you know, we've already got uh, the first couple camping trips already booked up. Uh, we've already got a cruise booked. My brother, who uh, has retired a couple years ago as a camper, and we've been tooling around with him in the uh, off-season the last couple years. You know, so we have a uh, little experience in the camper life, and uh, we enjoy it, and we're going to do a lot of that. And uh, my bass boat's going to get a lot of work. Great to hear. Tell me, is there anything new that you want to do that you haven't done before? I mean, obviously, it sounds like you've done some camping, some... Yeah, not anything really new, but more of what we really, really enjoy. And again, like I said, it's not that I don't really, really enjoy the baseball lifestyle. I do. It's been wonderful, and it's provided a great living for uh, myself and my family. Uh, the Rays are awesome. Tough to step away from them. But there's a lot of things that we really enjoy to do outside of baseball, and we're going to do more of those things. What was the toughest conversation when you had to come to terms? Was it Kevin? Was it Eric? Who were the conversations that you had that were most challenging just because of the relationships? Probably Pete Bendix, uh, the current general manager. Uh, Pete and I over the years have gotten really close. 
you know, Cassie and I have a great relationship. Uh, Eric and I go back to my first days here and have a great relationship with Eric as well. But Pete and I over the years have really kind of uh, developed a special bond with some of the conversations that we've had and still are ongoing for like the last 10 years. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, they were all tough, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's to a point where uh, it's, it's a good thing. It's a happy thing and uh, ready to ready to go. If I would have told you when you got here that you would have spent nearly two decades in a role or similar to the role that you started in, what would you have told me at the time? I would have said, you're crazy. <laughs> you are nuts. It's hard for me to believe that I've gotten this kind of time in the big leagues to start with. Uh, uh, the old saying, better, than lu- better lucky than good. Uh, I am the poster child for that. Uh, right place at the right time. Again, me. You know, I, I am those two things uh, epitomized. So a lot of good people. I think you're being a little bit modest. In fact, I had a conversation with Kyle, and I asked him about Jason Adam. And I said, are you at all surprised at what Jason's done? He said, no, I had Stan there, and I know that if Stan's working with someone, that he's more than likely going to become, and that's a big project, then suddenly he's going to turn out to be really, really good. Well, those were kind words from Kyle. And, uh, you know, I've done some good work over the years. But for the most part, I'm just here to help out however I can. These guys are great. The front office has given us wonderful, wonderful, not only talented young men, but, uh, you know, just just wonderful people, uh, good to work with, uh, open-minded, willing to try new things, great workers, good family people, um, you know, and all those things come into play. And the front office just keep filtering those to us over and over, year after year. And that's the way, that's how we've been able to sustain what we've done. You have worked with a number of people. You mentioned Peter as one of them, but how about Kyle, the relationship that the two of you have? What has made that special and made it so successful? Kyle is by far the best pitching coach in the game. There's no question about that. Just look at what he does. Uh, His level of caring for the players is unmatched. I have no question about that. If everybody could see just a tiny glimpse of everything that he does for these guys, not only from a pitching coach standpoint, but all the video work, all the all the personal conversations, making sure that their families and their friends and their houses and wives and kids and, and, and those parts of their lives are good as well because it's, it's more than just a pitching coach. He's more than a pitching coach to those guys. And uh, the relationship that we have, uh, I will help him any way that he needs the help. I will do anything for him. Um, he's, he's an awesome guy. He would do anything for anybody, and, um, and I would certainly do that for him. He's, he's awesome. Tell me, you've probably had some guys you've really, really enjoyed working with as players. Are there a few that stick out over the years? Obviously, this group is a lot of success as a group, but are there particular pitchers that you've particularly enjoyed? Uh, there are so, so many of them over the years, Neil, that for me to start naming names, that would... <laughs> uh, one, uh, Joel Peralta uh, did call me yesterday. I haven't talked to Joel for probably seven or eight years, and uh, just out of the blue, I got a phone call from him. Uh, he was talking to Ron Porterfield out in, uh, out in Arizona. Uh, Joel works for L.A. now, and um, he gave me a call uh, just out of the blue to congratulate me on my retirement, and we, we chatted for a while. There have been just so, so many awesome guys over the years that to start naming names, and I, I just there are, it, the list is just way too lengthy. What makes this group that you currently have special for you? The type of people that they are. They are superiorly talented baseball players, no question about that. You see what they do out on the field every day. But as good as they are on the baseball field, their, their level of caring for each other, their families, their friends, uh, for their teammates, uh, that's, th- this group is really, really special when it comes to those things. When you spend as much time as you did here, you have a lot of great memories. On the field, what are your best memories? On the field, game 162 will 
be in my heart the rest of my life. There's never going to be another night quite like that. I know it didn't send us to the World Series or win a World Series, or but that night was just as incredible a baseball experience I think as you could ever have. Um, the fact that it was to get to the playoffs in the regular season, it was unbelievable. That was the only time I ever like ran down and, and jumped into the dog pile. That was it. Uh, beating Houston to go to the World Series uh, during the pandemic and everything that that meant to us as an organization and to me personally, uh, just everything that we had been through that year together and all the isolation and the coming together and uh, culminating in a trip to the World Series, that was really, really special. And just so many other special memories in between that, you know, I, I just could go on and on for days with a big smile on my face about this organization. But, uh, you know, I got to end somewhere, I guess. And I guess the hope is still that there can still be a, another ring on your finger at the end of all this. And you believe that? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. We're not done yet. You know, I'm going to retire at the end of the season, but the, we are not at the end of the season yet. And the end of the regular season is certainly not our plans for being the end of the season. So, uh, yeah, we're going to take this as long and far as we can. And I don't see why we can't win a World Series. We're, we're as good as anybody right now. And the other piece of this that I think is also interesting is I know you talked about things that you want to do, but you're also a good family man, too. And I'm guessing this will allow you the chance to see your son play a little bit more and spend more time with your daughter as well. Oh, 100%. Uh, daughter still lives in Central Florida with us. Uh, she's a registered dietitian and uh, works in Kissimmee, so we get to see her a lot. Uh, my son um, is on the baseball team at the University of North Florida up in Jacksonville, uh, so he's a sophomore and... Uh, yeah, give us an opportunity to get up there and then see him this fall uh, in, in some of the fall winter squads that they do and then absolutely going to spend a lot of time up there in the spring to see him pitch. Uh, that's one of the places where we have a campground already reserved. Well, we are going to miss you terribly, but we're very happy for you and continued success in whatever you're doing going forward. And hopefully you do end up with that ring at the end of the year. Well, I certainly want that ring at the end of the year. And uh, Stepping Away is absolutely bittersweet. This is a great organization. I can't believe that there's a better place to work, better people to work with and for. And uh, I'm going to miss it every day, uh, but it, uh, it's time. Well, that is Stan Borowski, the Rays bullpen coach. There is There are a few people classier. Uh, and easier to work with than Stan. And, again, we are going to miss him a great deal. But we're hoping that, just like he said, there is a very enjoyable and lengthy playoff run going forward. And we certainly not only appreciate the time of Stan on the program today, but each and every one of our guests on this final show of the regular season. Of course, that includes the Rays general manager, Peter Bendix, who joined us to discuss going to a fourth consecutive postseason. We appreciate Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joining us live to kind of review what's gone on not only this year, but also try and look forward a little bit with the playoffs beginning next Friday. Appreciate the time of Mason Howard, too. Again, he is a, a prospect who's headed to the Arizona Fall League, one of a group, and he is the only one of the group that won a minor league award at the end of the regular season. Certainly appreciate Miles Mastroboni coming on the program, and uh, good luck as well to the Durham Bulls, the team he was with before his first ever call-up a couple of weeks ago. Yesterday, they won the IL Championship on Saturday night, 13-0 over Nashville in Las Vegas, and they still have one game to go against Reno. That is the AAA Championship, and that will be held on Sunday night. And also the time of one Paul Harker, who has worked on countless rehabs over the years and done such a marvelous job in getting guys back on the field, including Tyler Glass now, who, by the way, goes Monday against the Red Sox in Boston. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. As mentioned, that is our final regular season show. We certainly will have 
off-season podcasts and hopefully some during the postseason too. Special thanks to my fabulous producer Derek DeBose and David Obert for joining us here in Houston. I'm Neil Solon on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front, four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss!